All right. John, which chapter? I think we're on 10 now. 10. Yeah, that's right. We got through 9 last time. All the way through. We might get through 10 today, too. Okay, uh, let's start reading. Doug, would you read verses 1 to 10? Really, really, I say unto you, he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the um, potter openeth, uh, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own um, sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of the stranger. This uh, parable spake Jesus unto them, and they understood not what things that they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. And that even um, that ever come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear, uh, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man <clears throat> enters, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Okay, so Jesus is stating a lot of obvious things here, isn't he? Anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in another way is a sheep and a thief and abandoned. Got it. But got to realize how true that is. Uh, no question about it. Uh, and, and this is often how Jesus starts, isn't it? By uh, stating what everybody's familiar with. Coming at it through, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's your point, right? But carrying them with them, they're following his line of thought. But the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. That's true. Apparently, they... And I believe archaeologists have found this evidence uh, in antiquity, in ancient times. They did have ways of locking things that only the owner apparently could get through because he knew how. And there was only one entrance. And there was only one entrance, right. So if, you, if the thief had gotten in, he'd better be gone. <laughs> and then he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. In in the Middle East, sheep herders had very intimate relationships with their sheep. Uh, they knew them by name. Uh, they watched out for every single one of them and took special care when special care was needed. I don't know what kind of sheep uh, shepherding today we put them in pastures and lock them up at night and I doubt if shepherds know their sheep name by name but it's possible in Scotland that they do I'm just not sure here in the States 
that that takes place. It does to some degree, I'm sure. When are you going to say something, Doug? No, I'm just thinking and asking if you know, that's one of the hardest things I think for in our time and culture that we have this. I wonder how the Jews felt or they talked to you that there's only one way to only one way to salvation, God. And that's to me. But, you know, we always well, if you're a good person. I mean, most religious people, unless you're pretty devout, you know, Christian, that it's hard for them to understand that that's so exclusive. You know? <laughs> but was that was the Jews? Was that okay? In their belief that you only come to God one way. Well, we know clearly that the Jews could not hear the voice of their shepherd. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, though Jesus I think, called to them. I think their way was Judaism. That was one way. They, they understood one way, because monotheism, yeah, be monotheism is a one-way yeah, street. Right, it is. Um, and so they understood one way, but not Jesus. No, not Jesus. No. Well, this comment... Oh. Um, I have heard two things, and they kind of conflict unless you have another slant to it. I have heard that shepherds at this point... Either uh, one was that they um, go ahead of and lead them out, because that's how we understand it today. Then and, I, and the sheep will literally follow the, the shepherd. The other is that the shepherd walked behind, because we hear voices, uh, verses, sorry, where he says, you know, you'll hear my voice and turn not to the right or to the left. So, did the she- in the in, in the Middle East. The shepherd walks uh-huh. ahead of the sheep and calls them. Uh-huh, okay. And so they follow his voice. Okay. Because they're more auditory than visual, apparently. Okay. But in other cultures, I think Scotland is one of those. You herd sheep from behind. You have sheep dogs uh, that herd the sheep. And they follow the sheep leader. Okay, okay. So it has to do with cultural differences. Yeah, primarily the right. Palestinian shepherds. So he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him, because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. What is Jesus leading up to here? You were going to say something. I was just going to say, it's interesting. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. They're meaning there are some bad shepherds. Well, Ezekiel talks about that, doesn't he? We know how Israel was tied up with pagan deities at times. And um, I was thinking that Tammuz was one of those. I mean, I know he was one they were involved with, but um, he was a a shepherd god. Mm -hmm. He was. Uh, In in Sumerian, he was Demuzi. I was just looking at that. This was a precursor to Tammuz. In fact, in fact, um, you could say almost that Demuzi is one of the most ancient gods, and he's a shepherd, and and he fell out of use, uh, except in well, he fell out of use in Mesopotamia, but or at least out of prominence, maybe is a better word, uh, in Mesopotamia. But he continued on in, in the more northwest Semitic Canaanite cultures, uh, which is why Israel is still tied up with Tammuz worship. 
Tammuz is simply the Northwest Semitic form of Tammuzi. And he is a shepherd king. And, and you need to understand that the early designation for kingship was shepherd. Mm-hmm. They were the shepherd. Of course, that's a problematic imagery, isn't it? If, if you're a king and you're the shepherd of the what? The people? What are the people? The sheep. So it reduces everybody else to the level of sheep. And one person who's really a sheep <laughs> becomes the shepherd. And, and really only Jesus can say, I'm the good shepherd. Now, there's under-shepherds who are called pastors, but they're also sheep. And they need to always be cognizant of the fact that they're sheep. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so what Jesus is trying to do is, well, maybe we should ask this question. Is it possible that Jesus is trying to take an ancient metaphor for kingship and transform it? So let's meet on, uh, move on. So, uh, Jesus says, I'm t- I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. So Jesus is not only the shepherd, he's the gate. How does that work? He's right. the only way. I don't know where this falls To in. the Father. But here it says, um, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. And when he put his forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, and will flee from him. So, is there maybe an implication that there are other sheep in there that aren't his? Because he's calling his own sheep out. Hmm. That word own, it does have a little different cast on it, doesn't it? He calls his own sheep by name. So there's other sheep in that fold that don't belong there. Mm-hmm. But his sheep know his name because they recognize his voice. Mm-hmm. And so when they recognize his voice, they follow him. And the other sheep don't follow him. They do not recognize him. So what's the sheep fold? Well, the church, the world, the <laughs> universe. <laughs> you can just say those who follow him and those who don't because there's more than... It's, it might be serious. You know, Jesus, Jesus opens this up right in the, well, John places this story anyway, right in the context of the spiritual blindness of the Jews. They can't see. Jesus, Jesus establishes that in John 9. They can't see. Now they can't hear. They're deaf, dumb, and blind. Maybe not dumb, but they're deaf and blind. And furthermore, they claimed that they could see. That's right. Isn't that a prophecy in Isaiah? Or was it Isaiah? There was one where they said that they um, they hear but they can't perceive. Mm-hmm. Yes, see. we find that in Matthew 15, we find that in Mark chapter 7 also, where Jesus incarnate refers to those texts in Isaiah. Yeah. yeah. Do, the, do the shepherds sleep in the doorway of the fold? My understanding has always been that they had a they have a door that they could fasten and keep out wild animals and thieves. But I I have heard what you've said. I just have never seen it verified. I've seen those the round ones in Scotland. You know, one opening. <laughs> yeah. I remember yeah. Um. 
So Jesus is coming back from another direction, isn't he? He's moving, shifting from eyesight to hearing. Now let's talk about this in terms of Hebrew Bible understanding. Eyesight had to do with perception, understanding. See, seeing they do not perceive, you see, and they do not understand. Jesus is very strong on the nature of the kingdom is to be understood. It is to be explained. It is to be demonstrated. Uh, it is to be clarified. Any religion that tells you you cannot do those things is false. So any religion that tries to be the last word by saying, well, we just can't understand. It's a false religion. Any religion that says you can't use reason is false. I learned this personally. By, uh, I went through a time of severe trial and was a little unstable. And I started investigating a self-proclaimed person who claimed to have inspiration. Let's put it that way. I don't know that he claimed to be a prophet, but he claimed inspiration. And he had many dreams that he wrote down. And he would go around church to church. He was here in California. And he would go around from church to church sharing these dreams. His dreams perplexed me. Some of them had no meaning. And, he, he, and his, his whole methodology was not to explain anything. And, and the reason he preferred the King James Version over any other version was because it's, there, there's no explanation. You just take the Bible. You don't explain it. So I, I began to test the spirits. And the way I chose to test the spirits is kind of unique. I bought um, the compilations, mind, character, and personality, simply because I didn't have them and I hadn't read them and I thought they might be helpful. And, and so I started reading through these and comparing them with this man and what he taught. And... The more I read, the more I could see this really great contrast between Ellen White and this man. And the contrast was, she was constantly explaining everything. Mm -hmm. Constantly explaining it. And this other person, no explanation. And that's what, that's what made me realize, uh, you know, this is not a, sh not a shepherd <laughs> to follow. Ellen White is a shepherd to follow. And what happened, the upshot of this was that after I'd made that decision, uh, they found he was a fraud. His own board terminated him because they found he was a fraud. He made up all... He made up a lot of things. And that the, there was a female figure in this... Right, right. He was helping or something. I forget exactly he what claimed, that was all he about. He claimed there was a female a former total, prostitute. total figure of his imagination. Right, right. Uh, he actually invented the emails that he that she quote sent to him, yeah. and and they got into his actually his computer and discovered this. And he still went on his way trying to deceive people, but uh, at least the power was broken over some others. So, so this is this is the sight. The sight has to do with perception, clarity, understanding. What about hearing? What does that have to do with? Hear, O Israel. What does that mean? Distinguishing sound. Do you remember in um, 
First Samuel, Samuel says to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the frat of rams, to listen. Listen is the key here, not, not just simply hear. And, and so the obey is paralleled with listen. And you need to know that Shema, which is the hear, O Israel, Shema is the word to hear or listen. That word means, really means to listen, but it also means to obey. That obey is really to listen. And when the, the uh, gospel writers and, and New Testament writers were writing in Greek, the word they chose to represent obedience probably stemmed from the Septuagint. They, they chose a word for obedience that meant hupakuo, which means to listen under. So a willingness to listen. So you put those two together. If you if you refuse to understand, and you, you refuse to perceive, and you refuse to be clarified or or to to see the truth, uh, and and have explanation, and use reason, and you refuse to listen, what hope do you have? So Jesus is is putting this now, uh, I think, more closely together. And this is this is keep in mind we're moving in a trajectory toward his death. And the next event is going to solidify his death. It's going to solidify uh, the willingness of the Sadducees now to come over the line. Sadducees had been kind of hanging back, letting the Pharisees battle Jesus. But with the resurrection of Lazarus, that line's going to get crossed by the Sadducees. Because now they're threatened. And they're going to join hands with the Pharisees to put him to death. So I um, want to keep all that in mind as we move forward. Now let's uh, move into verses 7 to 10. Uh, Jesus is the gate. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. What is the all? Is it talking about that time between like um, Malachi or in Jesus where there's a lot of different... There was a lot of like false prophets and a lot of false, false shepherds. That's it. During that time, where like they were trying to reinterpret like prophecy and trying to um, develop like their own like extra biblical texts. Well, certainly it would include that time. But how 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 much well, is all, all yeah, taken? Everyone. Well, then what do you do with the prophets? <laughs> and what do you do with Moses? Well, there's the distinction between the shepherds and the false shepherds. Yeah. So he's talking about all the false shepherds who came before me. So maybe all who claim to be shepherds? Because I don't, I don't think those prophets were necessarily claiming to be shepherds. They were more like fellow sheep. Uh, Ezekiel seems to term them as shepherds. So then were the Pharisees false sheeps? Shepherds, rather. Well, they certainly, the Pharisees false. They certainly put themselves in the place of shepherding. The it could be that Jesus is saying, talking about the false messiahs that were very rampant in his day. Look what Jesus said back in 941. To the Pharisees he said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. What I have found in studying the word all, and I haven't studied it exhaustively, I mean, it, I have a huge Hebrew concordance that is uh, about 
this big, it may be a little more like this big, and very fine print. Something like well over a thousand pages. And and you just, if you look up the word all in Hebrew, it's just kol, um, or kol. It is just pages and pages and pages and pages. It's, the call is all over the place in the Old Testament. My study of, the, the little bit of study I've done of all, which is basically to note how it's used when I find it, uh, especially in times where it seems significant, is that it, it does not usually mean all-inclusive like we tend to take it. Uh, it means all of a particular class or all of a particular type or, or all within a certain time frame. Uh, so so I, I don't want to make more of this than I think Jesus intended. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out to find pasture. There's another way you can translate that. Whoever enters by me will be safe. And if this is the context of false and true shepherds, safety is needed. If this is the context of the good shepherd versus thieves, this is really needed. They will be safe. We don't think of salvation as being safe other than being safe from an angry God. That's how we've, hist how we've historically viewed salvation, as being safe from an angry God. And Jesus makes it very clear that's not who we're in danger from. The, the dangerous people are the thieves, uh, the false shepherds. So whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out to find pasture. Isn't that the epitome of safety? Safety isn't being locked up in a pen all the time and you never get to go out. Safety is being able to go in and out freely. I can't resist stopping here and asking, are we a safe church? Do people come in and go and feel safe? Speaking frankly and earnestly, I'd say no. Which means this chapter is extremely timely, isn't it? That's a really beautiful way to put safeness. You know, like you said, it's not dealing with structures or control or those things. It's the safety of, of knowing someone intimately, knowing the beliefs, knowing the truth, knowing it's a, um, it's a safe relationship, too. I think we feel... And in a safe... You know the character of God. Yeah. It isn't that right. these other people don't. They're afraid or... The, they come in, but you know, you know, he wouldn't treat people that way. He would, you know, yeah. just kind of. <laughs> and and it seems to me that safety is freedom. Yeah. That freedom go in and come out. Yeah. Without fear. And to go find food. And to go find food. Pasture. And without being told, no, yeah. that isn't food. That's poison. Don't stay away from it. <laughs> uh, the thief. I think this is. Jesus' climax here, uh, if, if this is in chiastic structure, which it may well be, uh, this would be the high point. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came 
that they might have life and have it abundantly. Do we really believe that? The thief comes in only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. What is the contrast here? Have we ever made God out to look like a thief? I'm talking we in a broadest sense. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about we around this table. Mm -hmm. I think there's been um, pictures of God where he kind of steals our happiness or steals our freedom. So in that sense... The difference between a good person and a bad person in the Bible. Well, let's go back to kingship. When Samuel tells the people, this is what a king will do to you. There's a verb that runs through his list that is extremely significant. He will take, he will take, he will take, he will take. And it finally ends, and you will be his slaves. A thief takes. Have we portrayed God at all as a taker and not a giver? He takes away our freedom. We can't do this. We can't do that. We can't do the other thing. Our whole religion becomes a can't. And then it comes in to steal, kill. Have we portrayed God as the one who kills? As the one who destroys? And to me, what the contrast Jesus is saying is, how do you know who's the good shepherd and who isn't? Right? How do you know his voice? If you understand, you have to understand this principle. And this principle is absolutely fundamental to getting through deception and through last day events. You have to understand that God is in the saving business and Satan is in the destroying business. And that's the the banner under which these two kingdoms operate. One is about saving, healing, restoring, rescuing. The other is about ways to destroy, kill. So I, I can't highlight verse 10 enough. To me, it's, it's, it's the, probably the peak of the chiasm here. So then he says again, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now he really identifies himself. This is not a this is this shepherd is not a taker. He's not a thief. He's a giver to the point of giving his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. You know, let's put away all theological labels, liberal, conservative, fundamentalist, um, etc. And let's talk about this in Jesus' terms here. Are there three classes of people in the church that he's describing here? There's the good shepherd, under-shepherds, who model Jesus. There's a lot of hirelings who work very hard for God because they think they have to earn their way to heaven. 
And when the wolf comes, they run away. They can't deal with it. And then there's the wolves who seek to kill, steal, and destroy. Are those three people, three categories in the church? And it doesn't matter whether you're liberal or conservative. <laughs> those three exist on each side. The hired hand, and, and you know, you think about the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Divisions upon divisions upon divisions. Scattered sheep. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. When you're working hard to earn your salvation, you're just hired by God to do your work. It's like my student. Oh, I shouldn't bring this up. My poor students. <laughs> but some of my students sit in my class, and the only thing they care about is an A. They don't really want to learn. They don't really care about the subject, and they don't really care about being engaged in class. They just want an A. And some of them really seem to think that A's are negotiable. They're not things you earn. <laughs> they remind me of hirelings. You know. <laughs> They're in it for what they can get. Do they care about other sheep? No. And in the day when I went to college, uh, there was extreme amounts of competition among pre-medical students. It was just horrendous because we had 2,000-plus students here at PUC. And there were three to a room in the dorms. And people living in the village, they were allowed to live in the village if they were 21. <laughs> um, and uh, it, was, it was just amazing. And, and the pressure on the pre-medical students and pre-dent students uh, to succeed because the slots were only this many and there were just this overwhelming number of students wanting to get into Loma Linda. Uh, so they became they became very abusive of one another because they wanted to climb that ladder and and uh, and, and uh, be one of the few that were accepted. So it, it just runs in this kind of works-oriented frame of mind and reference uh, not to care for the flock not to care for the sheep. We all, we're willing to control them. We're willing to lay down the rules for them. We're willing to tell them we expect you to line up and shape up and, or ship out. But we don't care about you, personally. I'm the good shepherd. Here he says it again. Actually, he hasn't said it yet, has he? This is the first time. I am the good shepherd. I'm not a hireling. I know my own, and my own know me. And now we need to come to the meaning of the word to know. And I'm looking for a Greek New Testament. There used to be one in here. But I believe in the Greek, this is a word that means intimate knowledge. What metaphor is used in the Old Testament for this kind of knowledge, this kind of intimacy? Marriage. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. 
I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. I have other sheep. They don't know me yet, but they do know me. That's why Paul says uh, that that the heathen do what the law requires because they have it written in their hearts. They hear the Spirit of Jesus talking to them. They do follow Him. They just don't know Him, know Him. Uh, So, I must bring them also. For this reason, the Father loves me because I laid down my life in order to take it again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Gene, does, um, in, in the you know, Hebrew sense, it's knowing and in, in inclusive, it's, it's knowledge, it's relationship, it's obedience, it's performance. Is it, is it an inclusive word that was used for knowing? Does it mean all those things together? Or is it, it's not just a cognitive knowing, obviously, when no. it's a screen here. <clears throat> but it is a heart, loving him with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind. It does include everything, but, but, but it's not an add-on kind of inclusion. It's not a chain kind of conclusion mm-hmm. where you have link. Here's this link, and here's this link. Right, right. Um, it is a holistic inclusion, mm-hmm. so that it is the knowing, the intimate relationship that spawns right. everything mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. that it includes. So to have the law written in the heart is right. what happens when you concept. know God. Yeah, it's an internalization of everything. It's experiential understanding, experiential mm-hmm. relationship. Any other thoughts, comments? I keep feeling John is the most relevant book we've come to. <laughs> uh, the text uh, Christian was referring to in Isaiah would be Isaiah twenty nine, thirteen. We were talking about earlier, and I think it was about two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, you had said it quite eloquently, Gene, when you said, what if we follow this and this and this and this and this? Could we still be in full-on deception? Yeah, you will seek for me and you will find me. I looked up some text. This was in reference to your asking. Search for me with all your heart. Oh, this is interesting. What what version is this? Um, King James Bible. For pastors, see the pastors are called the King James Version translated shepherds as pastors, and that's that's legitimate, isn't it? What does a pastor mean, literally? A pastor is one who pastors, and and sends to pasture. It's built on the same word. For the pastors have become brutish and have not sought the Lord. Therefore, they shall not prosper. All their flocks shall be scattered. Many pastors have destroyed my vineyard. They have trodden my portion underfoot and made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. The wind shall eat up thy pastors, and thy lovers shall go into captivity. Surely then thou shalt be ashamed and confounded for all thy wickedness. Woe be to the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Therefore thus says the Lord God of Israel, against the pastors that feed my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. 
Behold, I will visit on you the evil of your doings. Now, all Jeremiah. Anything else? Kim, you had a question? Yeah, I know. I'm waiting, raising my hand. <laughs> um, is this also the thing that comes to mind is Ellen White wrote about a vision, a dream that she had, where a multitude or a, at least a group of people were before the throne and they were bowing down and not necessarily looking, but then the, you know, then, you know, I guess it was um, Christ that was sitting there on the throne and he got up and moved and Satan came and sat in the throne where he was and then um, Yeshua went and moved to another throne and only those who were cognizant or were, um, you know, really paying attention were the only ones that followed him. I don't know where that dream or vision is, but I remember people, t you know, being told about that. Is Does that pertain to this? It certainly could pertain to us. Um, yeah, because they were the only ones that... that no, that would oh, be an interesting. That would be an interesting uh, metaphor to think about changing thrones, because God has worked within our views of authority and kingly power. He has worked within that model uh, in order to accomplish what He couldn't accomplish any other way. But there comes a time when that has to be abandoned, and it seems like moving thrones is moving to a different model of authority and. Power. Does that knowing concept, when we you hear it so often through Scripture, even when we get down to the separating the sheep and the goats, he says, I don't know you. Mm -hmm. is it, it's, that's a pretty stable concept all the way. Yes, yes. Uh, it's in the prophets, it's in Jesus. Uh, it's in actually more than one gospel. I go away, I never knew you. And of course, if you have, if your ability with relationships is only superficial and there's no depth to uh, relationships, that doesn't make any sense. What you know my name, you know the hairs of my head, you know, you know, you know, you know me. It 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 takes real perception of what knowledge is in order to understand that. I can't stress enough that the only thing that's going to get us through whatever happens in, in the future, which the future is now. I mean, we're looking at things potentially that are going to just be horrendous in the future. And the only way we can get through that is to have, is to have what Jesus says here and, and everything he says in, so embedded in our hearts and have such an experiential understanding of them, an experiential relationship with him built on it, that we are secure, we have an identity the world cannot take from us. Because our tendency, our human tendency, is to build our identity on other people around us. We want to fit in, we want to be accepted, we want to be appreciated, we want to have significance. We want we want to um, 
have people uh, think well of us, and we tend to lean on people. There's, the time is coming when that just won't be possible. And has now arrived. In many ways it has. I think most of us are still asleep on that. Mm -hmm. But um, the only way, uh, and when Jesus says, I am the way, no one can come, you can't be safe except by me. He lays it down there pretty clear. I am the only way. You can't be safe. That means that we have we have to learn this intimate knowledge and acquire it and, and be so joined to him that nothing can separate us. No other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that word name is not just name. The word name is really character in the whole, whole Bible. There's no other character, there's no other kind of God that's safe to be with. All the other ones will kill and destroy. That's right. Mm -hmm. But have an appearance of good. Yes. Oh yes. We love you, but. Remember my, my portrayal of the Grand Inquisitor last week? I, that, that picture will always haunt me. <laughs> because it is that. Uh, I love you. I'm benignant. I'm kind. But if you don't line up with what I say, I will kill you. Well, that's not a good note to end on, so let's end on a worse one. Worse. Verse 19. Yes. <laughs> Again, Jesus, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying he has a demon and is out of his mind. Now, if Jesus had any problems and couldn't stand alone, this would really get him, wouldn't it? He has a demon. And is out of his mind. Why listen to him? Why listen? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that unique? Isn't that <laughs> ironic? Jesus has been talking about hear my voice. Others were saying these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the yeah, eyes yeah, of a, a good, blind? Good response. <laughs> Practical. Well, we're going. This is. I wish we could finish the chapter, but our time is up. But we're, we're winding through. Before the end of next quarter, we should be through the Gospel of John. And I, I miss it already, thinking of that. <laughs> it's been rich. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we ask to be ones who see, who perceive, who understand. Ones who listen and hear and obey. And ones who know you as you really are, both intellectually and spiritually, until we can't be moved. Fulfill all this instruction as your promise to us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.